Well, as we've been saying this morning, we begin this morning the season of Advent, which means arrival. It's a season of anticipation uh, when we remember how God's people, Israel, waited for the Messiah. The king promised to deliver them. It's a season where we remember that the Messiah did come in the person of Christ. And it's a season where we're reminded as followers of Jesus that we also live in a time of anticipation, waiting, expectation. We live a life waiting for the king to come, for our savior to return and make everything right in this world and in our lives. In the meantime, as we look forward, we wait. Scripture is full of the theme of waiting, isn't it? And, and as part of the, the festivities around this time of year, one of the things as we wait that we hold up as valuable, even those who don't follow Jesus hold up as valuable, is nearness to those we love, right? Closeness to family, closeness to friends. So around the holidays, people usually want to be with each other to create memories together. You can probably think of a Christmas song or two that kind of longs for fellowship around Christmas. Oh, there's no place like home for the holidays. Or faithful friends who are dear to us gather near to us once more. Christmas tugs at that longing. It tugs at our emotions, whether those emotions are pleasant or sorrowful. So perhaps for some of you, Your memories of the holidays are hurtful. There's wounds. Perhaps for for some of you, you long for kind of the idyllic Instagram Christmases you never had and don't understand. Nostalgia and family and fun. So perhaps Christmas fellowship is not a place you find refuge in. But whether healthy or broken, the relationships we have with one another, with families or in friendships are mere glimpses of the relationship, the relationship we have been created for. See, God made every person, every man, every woman, every child, with a desire for closeness, nearness, relationship. That's why those songs can resonate with something deep inside of us. Because we want joy. We want intimacy with others. We want to trust. We want to belong. Ultimately, what we want, whether we acknowledge it or not, is intimacy with God. We want nearness and relationship to the one who made us and who knows us perfectly. We want God with us, close by. This morning, we begin this Advent season then with what, Lord willing, will be four studies in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. So Isaiah was a prophet who began his ministry around 740 B.C., And throughout Isaiah's prophecies to God's people of Israel in this long 66-chapter book, we won't cover all of it, don't worry, we see a mix of God's right judgment over wickedness. That's kind of one of the themes throughout Isaiah. But then right along with it, almost like tracks on a railroad, is, is this promised mercy that's coming. Isaiah, of many books in the Bible, Isaiah, I think, is the first one we think of when we think of Anticipation, longing, because there's a thread woven throughout the book of of hope. 
a kingly figure who will come to deliver God's people and bring new life. So for the month of December, the plan is, Lord willing, to drop down into Isaiah for four little stops along the way in this glorious book and see four ways Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, pointed us to Christ, to the king. Christmas, according to Isaiah. And so to begin, today we're going to dive into the passage Michael just read for us from Isaiah 7. Here in this somewhat obscure passage that can seem so foreign to us is news that God will be nearby, close to his people, to save. So two kind of overarching structural points for this morning, right? A sign for Ahaz and a sign for us. A sign for Ahaz and a sign for us. So first, a sign for Ahaz. So Michael just read for us uh, this passage, verses 10 through 17. And I don't blame you if you don't have any idea what's going on. I didn't either until I came to this passage this week. And I've studied this passage before. I still was like, what's this talking about? So let's get our our bearings. Let's back up a little bit. It's uh, 734 BC. So that's a long time ago. Uh, Isaiah has begun his work as a prophet someone to speak, kind of be God's mouthpiece to his people. And at this point in history, God's people are split. So some of you have experienced church splits in the past, where perhaps a leader took a part of a church and and split up the church and took that part somewhere else while another part remained. Israel is split in somewhat the same way, between the northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. And here in verse, in verse 1, which we didn't read, but if you look at verse 1 in Isaiah 7, we, we are introduced to a man named Ahaz, who is the king over that southern portion of Judah. Uh, if you look at other parts of the Old Testament, uh, you'll find that Ahaz became king when he was 20. He reigned until he was 36, and he was a terrible king. So as, as king of God's people, he worshipped other gods, not the one true God of Israel. He took part in grotesque, Idolatry that included murder. You can read the details. I won't share them now. But you can read the details in Kings and Chronicles. Ahaz was an evil king. But here in Isaiah 7, we, we come and we find Ahaz frightened, afraid. Because two other nations, Syria and Israel, have formed a coalition together to bring war on him. To supplant him with another king. So there in verse 2, we see that the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people are doing what? They're shaking as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Quite quite an image for us when we've seen so much wind this past week, right? His heart is about to go down in fear. And into this threatening situation, then, the Lord sends his prophet. Isaiah goes up to meet Ahaz. If you skim those verses, you'll see he's, he's inspecting his city's water supply which is a smart thing to do when you're getting ready for, for attack. And Isaiah has a word of encouragement for Ahaz in verse 4. He says, be careful, be quiet, don't fear, and do not let your heart be faint. He's basically telling Ahaz, don't do anything except trust in me. He's telling Ahaz to believe in him alone, not anyone else, because God alone can save. Syria and Israel, those smoldering stumps of candles, right? They have nothing on the Lord of Israel. Look at verse 7. 
The Lord God says, it shall not stand. It shall not come to pass the strength of these nations. So Isaiah predicts that not only will Syria and Israel not succeed in taking Judah, Ahaz's kingdom, but Israel's going to be shattered within 65 years, I believe it says there. And so he calls Ahaz to place his trust in God. There at the end of verse 9, he says, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. See, there's a choice here. Ahaz is confronted with a decision. The enemies are the doorstep. Trust me, the Lord says. Ahaz is feeling pressured by this duo of armies. God's promising rescue if Ahaz is firm in faith. Sadly, though, Ahaz is not. In Second Chronicles, we see that instead of going to God, Ahaz actually goes to, or at this point has probably already gone to, perhaps, a greater earthly power, the big behemoth nation of Assyria to the north. They are going to be his ticket out of war. They will get him out of this scrape. They will be his deliverer. And so in verse 10, the Lord calls Ahaz again to have faith and trust in him above all others. He says to Ahaz in verse 11, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. People have described this as a blank check. I'm the Lord. I'm powerful. I'm going to give you a chance to ask me to prove it. It's a kindness of the Lord to do this with Ahaz, to give him this opportunity because Ahaz's faith is weak if if not non-existent. But maybe you're thinking, well, I thought signs were a sign of unbelief, right? I mean, even last week in our study in Luke, we saw Jesus in his temptation in the wilderness with Satan resist what? Testing the Lord God, right? That was one of the, the, the quotes he cited to Satan. I will not test God. Because for Jesus, that temptation from Satan, giving into that would have been a sign that he didn't trust his father. Situation's a bit different here in Isaiah 7. Here, Satan isn't offering a sign. God is. He understands Ahaz is frightened. He knows a sign will increase Ahaz's faith. Isn't that kind? So here, asking for a sign will actually be Ahaz showing he trusts God. But verse 12, he declines. I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Those were godly words out of the lips of Jesus in in Luke 4. But here, although they sound sanctimonious and holy and even humble, this is Ahaz saying, I actually actually don't trust the Lord in this situation. I'm, I'm actually going another way for help, so sorry. The Lord's not done with the conversation. Verse 13, Isaiah says, Hear then, O house of David. So he's probably with other people, so he kind of zooms out from just talking to Ahaz and talks to the other people present. O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. So Ahaz has declined the opportunity, but he's not the one who calls the shots. God's still in charge. God's going to give a sign whether Ahaz wants it or not. So he says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
For before the boy, that is Emmanuel, knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, a land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. See, Ahaz, Ahaz has made a terrible choice. He has chosen to go to Assyria for refuge, to Assyria for salvation. But God says that even in this wearying unbelief in Israel, he will be with them. Emmanuel means God with us. He's talking about the the house of David there. Remember the promise to David via Nathan in 2 Samuel 7 that the house of David would produce the Messiah? He's saying even though Ahaz is in danger of losing his throne, God will take this. God will make sure the house of David does not come to an end. He will bring deliverance. And to prove it, he's going to give a shocking sign. A virgin will give birth to a boy named Emmanuel. And before this boy, Emmanuel, is old enough to know right and wrong, so while he's still quite young, the kings of Syria and Israel, these threatening enemies on Judah's doorstep, will be vanquished, gone. God's going to bring the salvation. He will be his people. He will be with his people. And even when Ahaz doesn't want him, he will step in and not allow his people to be blotted out. But not all is sunshine and roses in this passage, right? I think there's another side to this sign as well, a bit of a dark underbelly. See, it won't be Syria and Israel that are overwhelmed by Assyria's power, only them, but it will be Judah in some ways as well. So if you read into chapter 8 later today, you'll see Judah also will be affected badly by Assyria's presence. So the sign of Emmanuel is a sign of hope for God's people. That is for sure. But at the same time, Ahaz has rejected God's protection, hasn't he? He's rejected the kind of God with me to protect me. So these chapters contain much judgment. I think we can see this sign of Emmanuel set in a context of God with us to judge just as he is with us to protect. I mean, this is much of Isaiah's uh, message. I mentioned that before. Kind of these two themes or threads interwoven together throughout 66 chapters of Isaiah. Judgment on sin and yet an incredible promise of deliverance. It's the same here as well. And one of the ways that we see the beauty of this promise and in this passage is one of the most gracious words in all of Scripture. It might not strike you as that at first. But I think one of the most gracious words in all of Scripture, especially in the Old Testament prophets, is remnant. So in chapter 7, verse 3, look there with me. Isaiah first talks with Ahaz, and he brings his son, right? Sheer Jashub. Good, strong name for those of you who are looking for names for kids. But what does it mean? Sheer Jashub Jashub means a remnant will return. Isaiah's sons, you see it again in chapter 8, have meanings behind their names. Isaiah is not only preaching with his mouth, but he's preaching with his naming of his kids. 
And here he comes to Ahaz with, a, with, a, with an opportunity for salvation. And he brings along his son. A remnant will return. See, there's assurance here in the midst of turmoil and fear in Judah that God will save his people, that he will preserve those who trust in him. While he will certainly judge his people's wicked unbelief, there will be opportunity to turn to him for mercy. I mean, there was an opportunity for Ahaz, right? And so towards the end of of chapter 8, we see more of this idea of, of waiting. Isaiah waits for the Lord, even as things get darker. Judge, the darkness of judgment is kind of getting stronger. And we'll see that, Lord willing, next week as we go to chapter 9, when we see that darkness cut through with light. So church, for Ahaz, Emmanuel is a sign set in a context of hope and judgment. A, a, a real child in the real 700s BC will be born named Emmanuel. Born of a, a virgin. Some scholars believe this was probably a woman who at the time of the prophecy was a virgin, right? Because there's only been one virgin birth. This Emmanuel will be a sign that God is present. And that means no nation will overthrow God's people fully. He will sustain a remnant. But at the same time, it means he will be present to judge unrighteousness. See, in Ahaz's case, he has chosen to put his trust in military might and manpower instead of the Holy One of Israel. God will judge Ahaz's unbelief. But for Isaiah, for the remnant of those who trust the Lord, they are reminded by Emmanuel that the Lord is with his people to save, to have mercy on the remnant that will trust in him, no matter how dark things get. And church, for for us, this sign to Ahaz points us also to a greater sign. A a greater sign that points to both God's judgment and salvation as well. See, 700 years before the Messiah came, Isaiah uttered this prophecy that would have its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. In, In fact, God's promise to save goes back even further than 700 years The advent of the greater Emmanuel was planned before the advent of creation itself. Remember what Ephesians says in chapter 1, that that God chose to have mercy on his people, what? Before the foundation of the world. And so as we take a peek inside this Old Testament story, we are reminded this morning that unlike Ahaz, we can trust God when things look bleak. God is in control, and he loves to show mercy to those who would place their trust in him. So Ahaz has a sign, and so do we. That's our second point this morning, and final, that this passage points us to a sign for us. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew, what Carla read for us earlier. Matthew chapter 1, the very first words or chapter in the new testament in matthew we see inspired commentary on isaiah chapter 7 so anticipation for the messiah has come to an end as jesus arrives on the scene and as matthew describes jesus's birth he shows a virgin named mary who conceives and bears a son an angel proclaims in Matthew 1, chapter, or verse 21, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, 
for he will save his people from their sins. The Messiah has come. Good news of great joy. And then Matthew writes, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, Matthew's point is that Isaiah's prophecy 700 years earlier in Isaiah 7 about God's presence in the midst of judgment on disobedient Israel and salvation of a remnant comes to a head in Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just a boy named Emmanuel. No, Jesus is himself God. He is the very essence of God with his people because he is the son of God taking on human flesh. Jesus is born of an actual virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is truly God and truly man at the same time, perfectly able to rescue God's people, not just from Syria, not just from Israel, not just from a neighboring country at war, but from sin itself. Jesus is not just a sign of God's presence to save a remnant of his people. Jesus is God giving himself to us. See, church, we are Ahaz, aren't we? Each one of us. Like Ahaz, we worship other gods more than the one true God. Like Ahaz, we are unfaithful to the Lord who made us. Like Ahaz, we provoke the judge of the universe to anger. We weary him with our unbelief. Our sin deserves God's judgment. So for sinners like Ahaz, like us, the basic message of Emmanuel, God with us, is not good news. God with us in sin means judgment is coming. It means God will wage righteous war on us to exact justice for the ways that we've rebelled against him, like Ahaz did. God is not a, a divine character we get to manipulate for our own entertainment and affirmation. He is the judge of the universe. He has created us for his glory, and so he has every right, every duty even, to execute justice when we disobey his design and distrust his promise. We are Ahaz. We'd rather go to Assyria, anywhere else but to the Lord. Not God. Not Him. We would rather stubbornly keep trying to save ourselves than admit our need for a Creator, for our Creator, and go to Him. For salvation, And so in our sin, church, Emmanuel is not good news for us. God with us ought to make us shudder with fright. But, but instead, by God's amazing mercy, Emmanuel, this morning, for those of us who are in Christ, is the best news we've ever heard. Why? Because Jesus came to save us by taking our judgment for us. See how salvation and judgment are paired in our story, just like Isaiah's? 
See, when we deserve the judgment of Ahaz, he had the judgment of idolatrous, rebellious sinners. Jesus took that idolatry. Jesus took that rebellion on himself to redeem us. Jesus is the ultimate sign of the ultimate salvation. For all who trust in him, who turn away from putting confidence in in man like Ahaz did, who are firm in faith in Christ alone, they will have their sin erased, their judgment nailed to the cross, totally forgiven, totally freed, and joined to the remnant of those who will put their trust in God. Friend, if, if you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus Emmanuel is not good news for you. The fact that God would be near to you in your sin should haunt you. He will judge. But there's time. There's still time between the first and second advents of the Messiah for Emmanuel, God's closeness to become the best news you've ever heard in your life. If you turn to Jesus, find refuge in his cross and his death for your sin. If you stop running like Ahaz to find refuge in other things and trust in him alone, you will be saved. You know, I, I don't know if you share this experience, but I think overall in our, in our culture and maybe for some of you personally, like me, I think the holiday season has a temptation to offer a way of escape from real life for a bit. You, know, you can become children again. Have that awe and wonder. The real message of Christmas from Isaiah 7, though, actually smacks us in the face with real life. Because Christmas speaks of a God who took on flesh, not just to be a cozy savior, but to bear judgment that should have been ours. Christmas speaks of judgment. But judgment that can be removed and placed on another. So friend, don't escape from reality this Christmas. Escape to the greatest reality. To the one who called himself the way, the truth, and the life. Find refuge in Jesus. See him take your refuge or your judgment in your place. Trust in him. If you have questions about that, you can talk to me after the service. Talk with somebody sitting next to you. We'd love to share with you how, it, how much it means to us to take refuge in Jesus. And dear church, brothers and sisters, Emmanuel, for us who have found refuge in God, is the best news, the best name we've ever heard. Emmanuel means for us God nearby, close to save, to love, and best of all, to never leave. God with us means God the Son descending to come close to sinners, to die for us, to give us new life, to leave his spirit to indwell us until he comes again and makes the refrain of our entire future one of the repetition of God with us. God with us. God right there. God with us means the assurance that he will preserve the remnant of those who have faith in him against all enemies. So I think as I was thinking about this passage, I 
I think a good application of this then for us is to use this name, unlike Ahaz, to educate our fears this Christmas season. So I I wonder, what are you fearing most in life right now? We all are fearing something. Uh, what, What fears rival your healthy fear, your reverence and awe of the one true God? What do you dread? What, what keeps you up at night? Maybe, maybe you would say, and I've said this before, I fear what suffering God may give me. I mean, if it's true in the New Testament that he, uh, suffering is a gift that he gives to those who love him, I just don't know if I can trust him with that. Or maybe you'd say, I fear that those who are close to me will never know Jesus. Or maybe like we sang in He Will Hold Me Fast last week, you might say, I fear my faith will fail. It's come awful close. Maybe you would say, I fear my temptations will have the best of me. Or maybe it's even more practical, right? Maybe you would say, I fear I won't be able to provide for my family. Or, or I fear future sickness or the way I'll die. Christian, In your fear, look to the one who is God with you. I mean, do you need a sign this morning? Do you need a sign this morning that God is present to save you and that he will never leave you and he will never desert you to your enemies? God has given you a sign. In fact, he's given you himself. It's a sign of Emmanuel. It's a sign of Jesus Jesus on the cross, deserted to his enemies, so you will never be. Jesus on the cross, forsaken by his Father's presence, so you will never be. Christian, you have a big neon sign flashing in your life. Wonderful news to you of God's love that will never depart. Look at Emmanuel. The sign your God will never leave you. I've been uh, working through a little book recently that was just published called A Little Book for Anxious Hearts. I'd recommend it to any of you. Uh, It's by uh, a Christian author and counselor I respect highly named Ed Welch. And in one of his chapters, he just talks about God with us as a way that we combat fear and anxiety. And and I'm just going to read you uh, a quote that he writes in, in one of these little chapters. He says, I am with you is the gift to anxious people. Our worries usually imply that we need someone, the right protector, the right fixer, who is close and is for us. Only those who know Jesus actually have that someone. He is with you. But you have to rely on the sound of his voice in scripture. Your sense of touch and sight will not be enough. As we listen to scripture, we know that Jesus is the hope of humanity and his closeness is our only hope during fears and anxieties. And then he concludes and says, our fears scatter our attention. Do you ever find that to be true? Fear and focus do not go hand in hand. Our fears scatter our attention. The Lord knows that and he calls on us to do something unnatural, to focus, to listen, to imagine 
He quotes from the Psalms. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. God is close enough to shade you from the sun. He is actually pleased to be close. His closeness has been his plan from before creation, and he will carry it out. Church family, at this time of year, we have a longing for closeness. Even if we don't have it really in our life. We crave nearness to loved ones. And all of that is a dim reflection of our greatest desire, our very design to be near God. To know his presence in salvation and joy. And to remember that when we couldn't draw near to him, when drawing near to him would mean judgment and death, he sent his son to take that judgment and death. And he drew near to us. At Christmas, God came close never to leave. It's our greatest fear. Fear of death and hell has been squashed by the king. Christian, what more could you want than the ever-abiding, never-forsaking presence of your Savior? Run to him this Advent season and find in him all your heart desires. He is our Emmanuel sign. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in this passage deep in the Old Testament recounting a story that took place 2,700 years ago is radically relevant for our lives right now. Thank you that you are God with us. That Jesus has come to take our judgment for us so we can forever be sheltered in your presence. Lord, we pray for those in our church family, for those here this morning who are full of fear. And perhaps even that fear is exacerbated this holiday season. Lord, we pray for those who are full of the anxieties of this life. We pray for whoever these brothers and sisters are, and it's probably most of us. Lord, may we find our rest in the one who is close and will never leave us. May we trust in Jesus, our Emmanuel. Amen.